Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August 19th, and our chapter reading for today is the Gospel of John, chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus meeting at Jacob's well in Sychar. Well, let's open up and begin to go right through the chapter because it is loaded. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and just a parenthetical statement, though Jesus himself did not baptize his disciples, end of parenthesis. And verse 3 says, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, this is an amazing statement because it really gives us insight into the way that Jesus walked with his father. You see, there were three main routes to go from the Galilee in the north down to the lower Jordan Valley or down the Via Maris or up on top of the ridge in what is called the Ridge Road or the Patriarchal Highway. Whatever way you go, you always go up to Jerusalem. If you're coming from the Galilee, you are going to make your way down and then up because Jerusalem is 2,400 feet above sea level. And there are many places in Israel that's higher than that. For instance, Mount Hermon, the border to the north, the mountain fatherest to the north, which is also called Sirion in the Old Testament. But it is known as Mount Hermon. It's 9,200 feet in elevation. And of course, you have to come down that mountain and into the valleys below. But you have to go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is surrounded by valleys. You can stand on the Mount of Olives, which is just east of Mount Moriah and the city of Jerusalem, the old Jebusite city that David made the city of David. You can go east and cross the Kidron up to the highest point around, which is the Mount of Olives. And you can, from the peak of the Mount of Olives in the center, you can look down upon the Dead Sea 4,000 feet below And it is just a sharp decline. From there, you're going downhill all the way to the Dead Sea. That is the lowest trench on earth. It's called the Syrian-African Rift, and it starts in northern Syria around the border with Turkey and what we would call Kurdistan. Most would refer to that area. And it goes all the way to central East Africa. And many will tell you that it stops before then, but there is great debate because most believe that the Serengeti is part of that Syrian-African rift. But the lowest point on earth is the Dead Sea. 
So you have to go up to Jerusalem. So Jesus was making his way, not the Via Maris, the way of the sea, which was the route from Egypt and North Africa all the way to the Mesopotamia Valley or up into the Black Sea area or over into what is modern day Turkey to the north. That is from the continent of Africa through the land bridge called Israel to the continent of Asia, which is Turkey and north of Syria. That's considered Asia, the continent of Asia. And so Israel is this land bridge, and there was a way that you could go that had springs that would spring up along the coastline of the Mediterranean, and that was called the Via Maris by the Romans or the Way of the Sea. But in ancient times, many went also through the Jordan Valley, which was a fertile and fruitful valley. And you had water as the Jordan River came out of the Sea of Galilee and made its way down to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on earth. And there's where it would stay. Many times the pilgrims would cross and go on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee on their way to Jerusalem in pilgrimages and make their way up, crossing at the fords. They are just above Jericho, making their way up to the great city of God. But from time to time, people would go through Samaria. Now, the reason I say from time to time, because there were a lot of stops along the way with hazards, because everybody didn't want to go through Samaria and deal with the Samaritans because there was bad blood between them. No pun intended, but it was a different blood. So where are the Samaritans and are there any left and were they there during the days of Jesus and who were they? Well, you have to go back to the Old Testament to the division of the kingdom. In 931, King Solomon died, and when he did, the kingdom split in two. A man by the name of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was a Jew from the tribe of Ephraim, took ten tribes and split the kingdom in two. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, stayed south and kept the capital of Jerusalem. And the tribe of Judah stayed with them, and some of the tribe of Benjamin stayed loyal to them. But most went north. And it was an amazing thing that this Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was going to be given the ten tribes, and uh, his name was going to be as great as David, but he sought to bring that about in his own strength, stepped out of the will of God, rebelled against God, and Jeroboam is always remembered as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. Because as you'll remember, he set up two worship centers, one in the north in Dan, the northernmost part of the kingdom, and then in Bethel, which is close to Jerusalem, just north of Jerusalem, he set up these golden calves like Aaron did coming out of the land of Egypt at the foot of Mount Sinai. It caused Israel to sin. Now, God reveals the motives as to why he did that. He did that so that the people would worship at a different place beside Jerusalem because he feared if they three times a year went back to Judah and went back to the dynasty of David and, and the king there that they would again be loyal to 
David and his kingdom instead of his own. So he set up these worship centers. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because just about 200 years later, that kingdom was destroyed and it was destroyed by the Assyrians that came in from the north. Now, the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria, the city of Samaria. And so when the Assyrians came in in 922 B.C., 922 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Assyrians had a particular way of dealing with the people that they conquered. It was a strategy. And uh, the Babylonians had a different strategy. They took everyone lock, stock, and barrel to Babylon so they could serve them, be their slaves, their servants, and so they could subject them to their rule, their way of life, and so forth. But the Assyrians were not so. They would go in and decimate a place. In other words, they would only leave 10%. Uh, that's called decimation. They would take 90% away, scattered them throughout their kingdom into places they were unfamiliar with, and they would bring in people from all over the other parts of their kingdom into the city that they conquered so that people would not know one another, families would be broken up, they would speak different languages, and so it would take a long time for alliances and confederations and networks to be formed that would rebel against the Assyrians, and it was a good strategy. It lasted for a long, long time. This was their strategy. And so the people from all over the Middle East uh, in the kingdom of Assyria were brought in, and they intermarried with the people of the northern kingdom, the Jews who were there. And these Jews stayed there and had families, but they intermarried with these other people. And so they were people living in Samaria in the still the city of Samaria, which was formerly the capital. And so these, to use a term that's not good, but mixed or half-breed Jewish people were called Samaritans. And the Jews of the South and so forth felt uh, animosity toward them. And the people of Samaria felt animosity toward the purebred Jews because they looked down on them as not being fully Jew. And so a great rift was created between them. And the Samaritans had a worship center and an altar and and a temple on Mount Gerizim. Remember, there were two mountains that surrounded Sychar or what the Bible calls Shechem. We call it Shechem. And the city of Shechem was the place, remember, where Abraham came in through the Wadi Farah from over on the eastern side of the Jordan River. He crossed over, crossed into what became the promised land, but at that time it was called Canaan. And he lived there in Shechem for some time, and then he headed south. Now that whole area is called Samaria. The city of Shechem uh, that you can read about in the book of Genesis was shadowed by two mountains, one to the north called Ebal, and the one to the south is called Gerizim. And uh, Gerizim is where the Samaritans made their uh, worship center. And so that's the background of the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. You remember Jesus got a point across to the people in Jerusalem when he talked about a parable and he used in that parable a Samaritan man who when all the 
priests and Levites and good Jewish people passed a person in great need of help and care and healing on the old Jericho Road, that uh, it was the Samaritan who understood that men are made in the image of God and whatever their skin color or their blood or their DNA, they are valued in the eyes of God. And so this Samaritan took this man, took him from the side of the road, took him to a place where he could be healed, gave the man uh, pay for taking care of him. And Jesus made the point that it was not your DNA that mattered. It's what you did. And uh, he talked about this good Samaritan. And still we talk about the good Samaritan. And so the Samaritans were maligned. They were hated They and vice versa. And they had a worship center that they believe was the place that was sacred. And the Jews had Jerusalem. So that's the background. Now, Jesus left uh, Judea, which is the southern province, and uh, his disciples, and he went through Samaria again to the Galilee. Now, those were the three Roman provinces named and divided by the Roman Empire and in the days of Jesus and before Jesus. And that was in the south, it was called Judea. That's where Jerusalem was. Then there was Samaria that began just north of Jerusalem and went all the way to the end of the Samaritan Mountains and uh, to the Valley of Jezreel called Armageddon in the book of Revelation. And then you had the lower Galilee where Nazareth and all the rolling hills are and the Sea of Galilee and then it went all the way to the high mountains of Naphtali was the upper Galilee. On the other side of the Sea of Galilee from Tiberias, uh, the city of Antipas, Herod Antipas and Capernaum and all of those cities on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Across on the other side, on the eastern side was the Golanitas that is the Golan Heights, as they're called today. So that's kind of the geography of all of this. And so Jesus came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour would have been about noontime. Remember, this is not Roman time. We're talking about Jewish time, which started in the morning time and uh, ended in the evening time. It started at daybreak, at dawn, ended at twilight, and uh, where the Roman time would start at the meridian at midnight. And so here they were uh, about noon, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. This was the custom of the day. The women did the hard work of water, fire, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids, some shepherding. And the men, well, we'll talk about that another day. And so the women were doing what they do. And this woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. Remember, they'd come all the way from Jerusalem, which was a long trek. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, why did she say that? She didn't know Jesus. She said that because of the culture of that day. 
And Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Lady, you're proof of that. You're coming every day for this. But he said, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become a in him a fountain of water, living water that is, that's what springing up means, into everlasting life. Now the woman, of course, said unto him, Well, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. She understood the labor that it was to carry that water pot. And Jesus said unto her, Go call your husband and come here. Notice he didn't say, Now listen, lady, I know that you've been shacking up with a guy, and you shacked up with four or five men before that. No, he didn't say that. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, You have well said. In other words, I know that. I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you're with now is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. And I mean, Jesus told her what she knew he didn't know unless he was God, unless he was someone that was supernaturally empowered. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) Boy, that's the understatement. I mean, he had just told her all these things about herself. And later she said he told me all that ever did. So they had more conversation than just this. And our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say then Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. This is an amazing statement that Jesus said to her. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Every person that's not a Jew needs to read that. Worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. If it were not for the Jews, we wouldn't know about Jesus. If it were not for the Jews, we wouldn't have the Bible. If it were not for the Jews, we would not have a Jewish Savior. And you say, well, he's not Jewish now. Yes, he is. Either that's true or the book of Revelation is is totally inaccurate because in the last book, the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus said, I am the root and offspring of David, and that's present tense. And that is still at least a thousand years in the future from where we are right now. So yeah, he's still Jewish. And so the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now listen to verse 24. I know it's getting long here, but please listen. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the anointed one, Messiah, the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I who speak to you am. He didn't say am he. That just makes sense. But basically, he said, I am. He said, I am. Now, that is a term and language that speaks of deity. Just like Moses said, now, Lord, when I go down there to deliver these people where you're sending me, who shall I say uh, sent me? And could you tell me what your name is? And he says, I am that that I am. Jesus said, the one that speaks to you am I the one who speak with you am I'm he. 
Now, the he is in parentheses in your Bible because it's not in the text. I who speak with you am. Jesus was just identifying himself as the Messiah. Now, that's all the time we got. You know, maybe next year we'll do another one on this, and I'll cover things that I could not cover here. But I want you to understand the geography of this area and the journey that Jesus took. Why is that important? Because it's going to do us good all the way through the rest of this gospel and when we get into the book of Acts. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.